<laughs> I like the user titles. I just noticed that. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I tweaked them a couple weeks ago. I guess I know what we're talking about. Uh, the, like, user privileges or roles. Ah, okay. Over on the right, you guys are both at the Orca level. I can't read your whole title. Biblio Warden Augustus Britannicus Centaurus. Are you not the dominatrix of Kronos? No. Not in this universe, huh? I'm only the dominatrix of... Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to set some ground rules on that for the rest of the night. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. I promise. We are section 31 in that shit. <laughs> Prepare yourself for sheer fucking hubris. Fucking hubris. Hello and welcome to Sheer Fucking Hubris, uh, a podcast where three bodies talk about an episode of Star Trek Discovery that we watch each week and then break it down and all its lovely merits. I am Joe Bob. Joining me is Biblio Warden. Yo. And Mr. Willie. Hello. And this week, we all watched. Season 2, Episode 3, Lighthearted Points. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, we've talked about Season 2 so far being a kind of a step back from, from some of the decisions in Season 1. And, uh, Willie, I think you used the phrase last week, a return to something more Star Trekky, But that it wasn't quite there. You know, it, it still felt something was missing, and, you know, we couldn't really put our finger on it. But this week kind of made it clear to me, I, I really think was what was missing, the missing element, was episode one and two just really did not have enough decapitated toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. We We were missing that for sure. And I was I was so glad to see that they remedied that for episode three. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. It's about time. So, you know. <laughs> all right, Willie, what do you think? So this episode made me think of Encounter at Farpoint a lot. Because. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it really did. Because as I'm watching this, I have this mental image of. Joe Bob and I being the Grand Inquisitors, and we put Warden on trial for ever claiming that season two was better than season one because this is awful. <laughs> this episode was a total disaster. Like, <laughs> I want to put Warden on trial and tell him that his credibility for ever recommending a show is at stake unless he can justify <laughs> within the next 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> why episode two is not getting off to be just as much of a train wreck as uh, as season one because this episode did it for me it's a single episode <sighs> it is 33 percent of the season thus far <laughs> yeah yeah which granted a hundred percent of season one to this point was shit so i mean 
Uh, and I, I would have gone to the it's a single episode defense also. But you got to admit, this episode was really bad. Oh, yes. It was really bad. It was worse than most season one episodes. <laughs> Yeah, it may have been. I, I I've I've forgotten a lot of season one. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I don't, I, I've forgotten a lot of season one, so I don't want to make any sort of grandiose claims. Like it may have been the worst episode to date, but if it wasn't, it had to have been top three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still got Lethe, and you still got the season finale. Yeah, that's true. Lethe was pretty bad. Although we we brought back a lot of Lethe in this. Yeah, but we got off to a great start. We did make some callbacks to the stellar world building done in, in episodes like Lethe uh, with the logic extremists. Yeah, I can't believe we're still talking about the fucking logic extremists. You know, one thing, it got off to a terrible start when the previously on Star Trek was in Klingon, <laughs> uh, which just annoyed I couldn't believe it. <laughs> And for no goddamn reason. Yeah, yeah, right. No reason at all. I think <laughs> I paused it within two seconds to just stop and regain my composure. That's how quickly I lost it. And you know how in season two, episode one, we we talked about how there were some just there's some good nods, and they just kind of acknowledged some of the things about season one, and then they were like, "We're just gonna change them. It's gonna be okay, and we're just kind of gonna make this quick tongue-in-cheek remark, and then we'll move on." Gone are the days of those being even remotely subtle. <laughs> because this episode, they J.J. Abrams all the Ryan Johnson stuff for the Klingons in this episode. Like, yeah, I even distinctly remember making comments about why not just have the Klingon D7 look the same. It was an iconic look. Yep. And you're telling me it's not even like they said, OK, maybe we just need to get it closer. It was the exact same. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the whole oh I I hear post war Klingons are growing their hair out again. What the fuck was that? I, Give me a break. I, like, at least stick to your guns. Normally I say stick to your guns because I at least respect what you're trying to do instead of just completely crawfishing on what you've done. Some of this stuff was so stupid that <laughs> I actually think that backtracking was probably a good thing, but. You're right. <laughs> this this episode was more over the top in some of the retcons, fixes, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But this episode, it was just so, there was so much, I don't know, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> it's like they were continuing what they did in the first two episodes of trying to walk back some of the stupid shit from season one. At the same time, this episode took the tone from season one. The, the storytelling, the dark, gritty, the violence, uh, it was all as bad as anything in season one. It's all the same. Still, though, at this point, best thing by far in the show so far was Lorca. Nothing has happened yet to unseat that. And this episode certainly made no leaps and bounds towards doing that. But the retcons were horrible, but one of them cracked me up. Because several episodes of this podcast... Whenever we start talking about the Phoenix, by the way, first off, they even talk about how out of the ashes, the flame rises up. I was like, oh, I was like, Joe Bob, you, you nailed it. <laughs> but when they were talking about him, he's like, look, I'm not a human. 
I'm a Klingon who's made to look like a human. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for boiling that down. <laughs> I think I texted you, and Willie had said, that he is speaking directly to you because he looked at the camera. And he's like, all right, Willie, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I'm tired of this. How are you not getting this? <laughs> Oh man, yep. It was it was like he was speaking directly to me because every time we get on it, none of it makes any sense anyway. But at least finally he just boiled it down. Like, look, I'm not a human. I may look like one, and I may play one on TV, but I am a Klingon who was made to look like a human. <laughs> Why do all the Klingons who hate outside cultures also speak English? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm glad that they do, yeah. but you know. Yeah, we did get subtitles in Klingon, which I thought was hilarious. It was only for like one line. Yeah, that was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, but it, it was funny. Um, during that opening scene, when uh, Big Papa Cole was talking, <laughs> Cole Train. Yeah, Cole Train. Yeah. I was like, hey, this kind of looks like what a traditional Klingon looks like. And uh, then later on, they're like, I hear that Klingons are growing their hair out again. Apparently, all the hairdressers had been laid off because Lacrell's hair was 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 terrible. Boy, Lacrell's having a hell of a time losing that baby weight. Jesus. <laughs> well, there's a lot of stress involved with running the Empire. Fair enough. So, really, the only thing that happened, Ash defends her and wipes the paint off of the dude's face. You're not worthy. Get Get out of here. So then we then we're back to the half marathon. God, this is so stupid. Do you remember that we have a holodeck on this fucking ship? <laughs> That's a thing, right? Apparently, yes. It's a thing. It's a thing. Also, do you know how awful it would be running a half marathon when the lights in front of you are constantly being darkened and then turned back on and the computer is just saying for 13 miles? Command trainee program marathon approaching. That oh my god! <laughs> How many laps do you think they had to make around the saucer section for a half marathon? They didn't actually move. The saucer section spun. It's a giant treadmill. <laughs> it was spinning. And they were running against it. That's a recycled joke. <laughs> we made that joke way back in season one, but not quite that way. You know, 112 laps. By the way. You calculated it? Oh, Jesus. I calculated it. You've got to be shitting. Oh, my God. Oh, man. The only thing that would have made that better would have been if they'd had the little lap counter clickers that all the geriatrics have at the mall and uh, clicking away. But here's what kills me. So they're running. They're all neck and neck. Do you think after 13 miles, they'd all still be that close together? And if they were, do you think one of them would have time to have like a minute and a half long conversation and then catch up and win. If you were as fast as Silly Stilly, you probably could. She'd have a little bit of a spore drive technology <laughs> power in her that whole time. Well, no, I mean, you know, she crossed the finish line and Sarub was like, damn, Stilly, have you got a little Kelpie in you? <laughs> oh, man, don't make it. Don't finish the joke. Don't I'm finish it. Gonna, I'm not even going to do the rest of it. I'm not even going to do the rest of it. <laughs> Thank you. Quick, Tilly, threaten me real fast. Complete mother of God. <laughs> you know, his threat boners did not react to the mycelial parasite inside her. 
I thought that too. It, we we continue to not understand how to write those into the plot element. But so Stilly wins, and she doesn't give credit where credit is due. The only character in the show so far who's more annoying than Tilly is is this May woman, Aunt May. And so it makes her mad because uh, Tilly doesn't give her credit. And then she gives her the little juice squid. You know what that, that little bottle reminded me of? You remember 25, 30 years ago, you had like the little uh, juice bottles and you could squeeze the top off. The squeeze it? Yeah, and it kind of looked like Darkwing Duck's Duckwing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what that bottle looked like to me, you know? Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. If I just ran 13 miles, Joe Bob Ward, either one of you, please hand me something bigger than that <laughs> to rehydrate with. Unless that was some kind of super-duper synthesized hydration technology. Well, knowing the fucking replicator on Disco, it was probably like, have an organic green tea. It's perfect for restoring nutrients and... And sustaining eukaryotic life forms in your in your thoracic cavity. What, what the f*** good are the doctors on Discovery? <laughs> like, is, 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 is Phoenix human or Klingon? I don't know. Both? Neither? Maybe? Hmm. Tilly just got zapped by dark matters in a concussive state. You think we should, I don't know, maybe check her out a little more thoroughly than just, hey, yeah, you feel okay? But like a medical scan would have caught the whole mycelium, but, but uh, maybe not. One would think. So we finished the half marathon. They're like, all right, get ready for role-playing later. And then Burnham has to go uh, meet Amanda, right? Isn't that where she runs off to next? We don't know it's Amanda. We don't know it's Amanda. Brohara picks up a signal. Yeah. And we're already at yellow alert. And Pike's like, I'm about to, I'm about, I'm about to get my gun out. <laughs> Yeah. But it's like, ah, they got diplomatic plates, so they ain't got to tell us shit. And then they notice it's Falcon, and I guess I guess Sarek's the only one that got that model. It's a custom ride. Well, the, the, the plates were probably registered in Sarek's name. Women aren't allowed to own property on Vulcan. Yeah. I believe that. So she beams over and hugs her and then says, don't react. Like... What are you supposed to do in that scenario? Is that does that mean you're supposed to give like the side one arm hug, or like the two arm <laughs> hug, or how do you not react when somebody's hugging you? This I, okay, okay. There was some fucked up editing in this episode. Like, yeah, some of the camera shots were really cool. Some of the editing was weird. I don't think that's the way that that shot originally went because. I think Amanda probably said something different than what they had her say because when she said that line, her back was was to the camera, so you couldn't see her mouth move. I, f- I think they rearranged some stuff. This episode really annoyed me, and maybe it's maybe it's kind of what you're talking about. I actually had to watch it a second time with subtitles on because I couldn't hardly understand half the, the dialogue in this episode. Anyway, it was also hush. Last season, we would walk down the hallways of Klingon D7, or I guess D7.1, and, you know, they would just be speaking in a conversational tone. This whole episode, they were all whispering and muttering under their breath the whole time. I couldn't understand oh, no. the shit they uh, were saying. Which, again, made me made me think that something weird was edited there. I think Amanda must have said something like, don't react, but I'm on the run. 
I stole some shit. Maybe so. Don't react to that. Because then they're whispering, and Burnham already looked distressed, even though she hadn't told her yet that she stole shit. Right. But but she stole it because it was the only logical thing to do. The only logical thing to do <laughs> is grab the zip disk. Yeah. From, uh, <laughs> How do people not track these things nowadays? You know. I mean, oh well. Why does no one in, in sci-fi ever make a copy of shit? Because when he talks to the guy in Starbase 5, he's like, we've discovered some of the files are missing. It's like, what? Just, just copy it. <laughs> and then they don't know. Like, <laughs> That's a fair point. Yes. Fair point. I mean, it happens all the time in sci-fi. Like, Well, to be fair, as, uh, as advanced as technology was, did you see how long it took the files to download when Burnham finally cracked the code? So maybe that's why. Maybe she just didn't have enough time to copy it. If you're on the lam from from the government's top men. A copy takes the same amount of time as a transfer, doesn't it? Control C, control V. I mean <laughs> Well, I guess that the zip disk was like in somebody's desk and she literally stole it out of there instead of like, you know. Must have, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> But but that, that set up yet another retcon where Pike walks over to his ready room view screen. <laughs> <laughs> only you and my uh, abuelita yeah, are the only ones who use these things anymore. Pike says, well, I'm old-fashioned like that. Pike's like, I think I'd like your grandma. Yeah. How about, okay, so I call you. All right, are we role-playing? <laughs> yeah, we're now we're role-playing. I call you and I say, hey, look, what the hell's going on? You tell me it's classified. What What was Will Ferrell's name on Austin Powers? Mustafa. Yeah, okay, it wasn't. If you ask too many questions, he can't stand it. He just tells you all, the, all that you wanted to know anyway. I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't talk about it. It's classified. Pike asks like one or two more exploratory questions. He's like, ah, look, this is what happened. He killed a few guys. He's on the run. We got people going after him, but it's complicated now because somebody stole the files. I mean, it seems like their classified information procedures aren't really up to snuff anyway. Mm -hmm. So it probably wasn't that hard for Amanda to steal it. Or for Burnham to so. decode it. Yeah, or that. I also like how Pike was like, I'm sorry, but uh, I just can't look at this file. That would be breaking the rules. Yeah, and then immediately turns around. He talks to him. He's like, Burnham, I'm ordering you to break the rules. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't understand this. That that also came into play last episode where uh, she's like, oh, well, the captain has the, the governance to break the protocol whenever he deems necessary. I'm like, even Lorca obeyed protocol when he was in the Prime Universe. You know, he even rescued a Gormagander. Do you think Lorca cared about the Gormagander? But uh, but Pike here, he's he's pretty willy nilly with it. He's just like, oh uh, yeah, there's something's going on. So uh, break protocol. So immediately, as soon as Burnham walks in, uh, she's like, hey, look, we, this is what happened. We need to do this. By the way, kudos to Burnham on tattling on Amanda to the captain, pretty much right off the bat, right? <laughs> I know. But so they go in there, and uh, Burnham's like, well, you know it's the captain's prerogative or whatever to break protocol whenever necessary. Do you think every officer who comes in and needs something says that to him? <laughs> He's probably getting sick of it. Cause that's two yeah. episodes in a row that Burnham's done it. She's exactly. like, Oh, prime directive, but you want this camera and captain's protocol. Yeah. 
You know, do you think do you think anytime they can't get it? <laughs> hey, Captain, you, you think we could take a month on Riza? Like, no, we're <laughs> supposed to patrol. Like, well, yeah, but Captain's prerogative. Yeah, I'm I'm hard up over here, and Captain's protocol says I can break it. <laughs> so he breaks protocol and tells her to hack into the files. Orders her, in fact, to break into the files. So, do you think living on Vulcan and being married to a Vulcan? For so long, stripped Amanda of her emotions and ability to portray any sort of empathy or feelings. Also, uh, it certainly uh, repressed them when it's convenient to the plot. Yeah, she's she seems pretty stoic throughout this whole episode too. Even when Burnham tells her, "Oh, well, you know, after the logic extremist killed me for being human, I thought the only way to protect my half-human, half-Vulcan foster brother." And my human mother was just to be a total bitch. Um, wouldn't the logic extremists have wanted to come after Spock just as much as her? I would think so. I would think more. Because he truly was diluting down their culture. Whereas Burnham was just kind of a an experiment, if you will. That's a good point. Yeah. Man, the more we learn about Sarek, the more, like, he was a shit father. <laughs> <laughs> and not really a great husband either, like... I wasn't permitted to show my son love. That's right. So I showed it to you. I couldn't teach him empathy. Like, so he forbid her to show empathy, but then adopted Burnham to teach him empathy. I don't understand this. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's... yeah. Where is Cybok? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Because he was older, right? Uh, Yeah, I think he was older. He was, yes. Yeah, because he boned the Vulcan princess, right? And then she died. And he was like, all right. Wait a tick. I'm single again. <laughs> and then hooked up with Amanda, right? So how about when, uh, you know, they, they, they're like, well, Spock killed a few guys and now he's now he's on the run. They're like... Ah, Spock's too gentle. He wouldn't do that. I'm like, I've seen Spock beat the shit out of numerous people. <laughs> it is not uncommon for Spock to unleash the rage mm-hmm. on people. <laughs> but but nah, he's he's too gentle. Burnham's like, he's like, you have obviously not seen the J.J. Abrams version <laughs> of Spock. This motherfucker was about to kill Khan with his bare hands. Right. <laughs> oh, man. So, one of the things that, again, made this episode feel like such a mess is the whole subplot, subplot, or co-plot, whatever. Co-plot, I don't know, but we were jumping back and forth. So, I guess we're jumping back to, like, the High Council. and You know, we mentioned them showing the D7, which is another look at the camera. And Ash says, look, you asked for it. We're making a D7, and it's it's actually a D7. It's D7. Why, did, why was the other one named a D7 also? I don't know. But this one bears the insignia of the Klingon Empire and no one house. And I was like, usually those are like painted on. So <laughs> really, it could bear the insignia of whatever the fuck you want to put on it. But that's not the point. And Coltrane's being a dick. He's like, oh, are you going to make the human? The captain of the fleet, too. And then that's, yeah, that's where we rub off the paint. And Ash sighs and says, for the love of God, man, I'm not human. I'm a Klingon (laughs) made to look like a human. 
How are you not getting this? <laughs> uh, what a stupid... God, I hated that. <laughs> and and then they say something about the seven signals. Doesn't they say it's something like, it's yeah. seven drops of blood. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I don't really... Because everybody knows that Klingons fear a little bit of blood. Right. Yeah, it says, and... says they popped up just as she became chancellor. Um, which I... I don't think the timelines actually lined up like that. They said after, shortly after. But yeah, it's it's awfully. The man's an idiot. Let's just move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I can't believe this. It's almost like the woman who became chancellor by holding the whole planet hostage is somehow unpopular. <laughs> I would not have expected that. Yeah, go figure. Or I guess this is when Ash calls Michael and we see that Klingons have better hollow projector technology than the Federation. Because he's like, I got a full color projection. Yours is more like the blue white. Where'd you buy that from? The Imperial Surplus Depot? <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's, you know, she's like, nice beard. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. And he turns and looks at the camera and says, yes, audience, in times of peace, Klingons grow out their hair. That's why there wasn't any on their heads before. <laughs> now, yeah. if you ask me why our head shape has changed, I don't really know. Uh, I don't have an answer to that. But, you know, hey, it looks more like what you remember. How about some of the Klingons, though, with like Mohawks? And then there was at least one Persian nightclub owner in there. Oh, God. Did you see the one that had like the chops like Danny Trio, like <laughs> fucking Stovacore Sanchez or whatever oh he was? Oh my god, it was awful. <laughs> <sighs> we still discovered it, right? We still dialed it up to 11. I mean, it, it still looked like Back to the Future Part 2 and with some of these hairdos and the jackets and everything, but... <laughs> Oh, but at least at least we know that they have hair again, and that explains why in every subsequent uh, iteration series, like the Dominion Wars, like first thing they did, like Galron, like buzzed his head, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "I'm ready to go," exactly, you know, and and Martok and Worf take turns shaving each other. <sighs> I swear, like <laughs> if you're gonna retcon something, <laughs> isn't retcon short for retroactive continuity? Yeah. It's yes. you taking a moment to try and fix your mistake, fix it in a way that is still continuous or still sticks within the guidelines of the canon. But well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But so we've grown our hair out. You know how um, they have those UV lamps that are supposed to like regrow hair on your bald spot. Maybe Takuma's beacon. It singed all it off. <laughs> yeah. Or no, I was going to say, maybe it started growing their hair. So it stimulated it. <laughs> the yeah. light, yeah. It stimulated the Klingon follicles. I wouldn't have put it past them to come up with something stupid like the radiation from the bomb circulating under Kronos has reactivated all our follicles, and now we all have hair again. <laughs> maybe that was what the Pavan Crystal Dick transmitter <laughs> did for them. Oh my. Maybe that was their way of like uh, broadcasting friendship. Uh, oh Jesus. Um speaking of, you know, I've mentioned being, you know, an engineer, I've always been interested in the tech and everything and like when I was little Joe Bob, future engineer, I actually had a couple of the technical manuals, like the one for the Enterprise D, the one for the Enterprise A. Yes. And I thought those were pretty neat. 
Yes. But you know what? I've decided, fuck that. I want a manual on Klingon anatomy. Because <laughs> I would have figured some of this shit out. <laughs> like, I We spent a whole season talking about Klingon anatomy last time. Do you really want to open up that can of worms again? Yes, because now it's changing. <laughs> and now there's a baby. An ex-utero baby. And I'm just like wondering, like, since everything's doubled up, do they do they have two wombs, you think? Like, do all Klingon babies, you think, start it tw- as twins? And one kills the other in the womb so that only the stronger <laughs> one gets born? I mean, I, I'd, I'd say Lorel has double the pregnancy hormones because she was all about, like, if you really wanted to be folk, you'd, you'd return my love. And uh, she was all sorts of uh, uh, clingy on this one. I honestly cannot believe they had the restraint to not give her four nipples. <laughs> How do you know? Well, did... It was just kind of a topical view. Oh, oh well, that's true. <laughs> I guess there could have been some lower ones. <laughs> that's a good point. And the lower ones are always more sensitive from, from what I did read in Klingon Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Christ! Uh, that's man. why. That's why in the next generation, the titty window is only on the top ones. <laughs> it's too stimulating. Otherwise, <laughs> exactly. Wharf will be walking around at double mast. Otherwise, Jesus, drop the mainsail, Wharf. <laughs> so, oh God, you think they each like go? One with- of them points to True North all the time. My God, <laughs> that's why Klingon can always find its way <laughs> that's home. Right. That would actually come in handy, yeah. That'd be useful. Maybe that's something humans will evolve into. All right, so get this, though. So, so wait, wait, wait. No, hold on, hold on. I'm not, fin- I'm not finished on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you take it, then. Take it away. So, they made a point of saying that she conceived a child before he turned to Ash. And I'm assuming that's another, like, staring at the audience being like, Look, it's a little bit less rapey. <laughs> this is from the consensual part. But that got me thinking, like, this this rebuilding Voke, you think that they altered his sperm? Uh. Because, like, what if he accidentally slipped one past the goalie with Burnham? That'd be like a real uncomfortable <laughs> thing later. Like, <laughs> like, imagine he had never... Uh, gotten activated like they'd never gotten Lacrell over to the ship and so he still thought he was Ash and then all of a sudden you know he and Burnham were living happily ever after and she's pregnant and all of a sudden the baby comes out half Klingon he'd be like what the fuck <laughs> is this <laughs> Lucy you got some splaining to do <laughs> <laughs> look look they thought of everything okay <laughs> no they did yes they did sure no, man, they shaved his fingertips down. I got a feeling that if they thought of everything, then Ash would have said, but that's not the worst part. Then they start shaving down your fingers. He'd have been like, but that's not the worst part. Wait till they chop off one of your dicks. <laughs> then they start reprogramming your testicles to produce Ash Tyler sperm. <laughs> I, you know. Oh, man, he was asleep for that. <laughs> he wasn't asleep for any of it. I don't know why he wasn't, but, you know. Moving on. Here's what I love, though. So if you're an envoy into a different culture, um, when in Rome, right? Yes. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I've never heard that. (laughs) Um, So he walks in and he's like, hey, what's up, Uncle Oogla? 
how you doing, man? You're looking great. And he, he just storms off past him. He's like, I'll get it. Why don't your uncle like me? I don't know. Maybe because you were a condescending prick to a, to a Klingon warrior, <laughs> you know? That was so stupid. But Uncle Ruckus shows himself to be a good guy later on. Briefly. Very briefly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but one thing we have touched on a few times is is the aesthetics, right? Um, I did think some of the scenes on Kronos looked cool. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit they didn't make sense. I thought they did look cool. Does LaCroix live in the giant treehouse from Hook with the Lost Boys? Because that's what I thought when I saw the outside shot. <laughs> Maybe so. Hook seems to be a, a, a through line with the Klingons so far. Because we you know, had the whole feast thing on the sarcophagus. I think it's just that I like that movie. Maybe <laughs> so. <laughs> and I like bringing it up. My kids like it too. Mm. Anyway. Off topic. Very off topic. We've never been off topic. What the hell are you talking about? That's right. So I thought that we were going for, you know, like last season, uh, Glenn was taking mythology at the Iowa City Night School. <laughs> and I think he moved on to like literature because I thought we had our second Shakespeare reference this episode. Well, but he was uh, originally Klingon. Well, exa- well, that's true. Was last episode where Pike quoted Hamlet with the they're more yeah. in heaven and earth ratio than dreamt of it all your books and then i thought we were getting the out damn spot moment oh with his when black yeah. Macbeth ash was kept washing his hands yeah. and looking at the the paint that looked like blood that turned out to not be paint or blood but instead nanite listening devices yeah laden with sensory receptors uh, that he put on his face because he knew that if he insulted Lacrell enough that Ash would try and wipe the paint off his face. Um, Wouldn't it be easier just to like put some on your hand and pat him on the back or something? Like, it's just, it's, this seems like a very convoluted <laughs> and overly complex and intricate right. plan. This is another Dr. Evil plan right here. Mm-hmm. And again... <laughs> None of this seems very Klingon, right? There was, I mean, in, in TNG, there was always, like, the one underhanded house that was trying to, you know, do shit on, on the... The us, yes. But political intrigue is not is, is not a Klingon trait. You're, you're right. It, it still feels more Romulan than so, Klingon. But, uh, but, but he learns, he learns some good stuff, says that Ash was betraying the council... The second time I watched that, I didn't really pick up on anything that sounded very um, subterfuge-esque or, or anything like that. Well, I think just the fact that he's talking to Starfleet and saying, hey, you know, the council might not support her much longer. You need to do something about it. Yeah, true. I mean, Cole was absolutely correct in saying it's kind of a puppet regime. I didn't think he said you needed to do something about it. Well, I guess it was implied. You're right. Yeah, and he learns about their love child. Yeah, again. Oh, well, I couldn't activate a sleeper cell if I was preggers, so the baby was born ex utero, and that's why it's so small. That's a pretty big baby. Yeah. Well, and the thing that confuses me is I always thought a baby without confinement would, you know. I think 
it would have zero bearing on it at all. Yeah. It's not a koi. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, yeah. I wasn't going quite koi or anything. I was just like, you know, I, I don't know that it would. As long as the baby gets all the nutrients that it needs, it's going to grow at the same rate, regardless. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm, I'm watching this episode with, with uh, my wife and. She immediately is like, hold on, pause it. She's like, this is stupid. She's like, she's supposed to be pregnant the whole time it was last year. I was like, I was like, look, you don't know what the gestation period is for a Klingon female. Don't judge it yet. And she's like, is that really your defense right now is Klingon gestation period? I was like, well, I, I can't describe it. And then I hit play. And then she's like, oh, the baby was grown ex utero. I'm like, there, there's your explanation. Which one's worse? The gestation period argument or the whole ex utero thing. See, to me, it just would have made more sense because Lacrell kind of disappeared for like eight or nine months, right? After her and Voke decoupled, you didn't hear anything from her until she popped back up seven months later or whenever, right? No. I thought that was only like a month later. No, it was like seven months, I thought. Uh, no. no, remember because. No, you're right. You're right. Because they've been. Yeah, because they've been adrift for six yeah. months. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, you're... Oh, God. The whole timeline of the war is well, a little fuzzy. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, indeed, it does not. But so, Ash and Burnham, they talk a little bit. It's good to see you, and I like the beard. He's like, I hope I didn't interrupt anything. And Burnham's like, no, I was just with my mom, and it's going to make it harder for the viewers to know what's going on, but we don't give a shit. And he's like, that's good. Don't go. I want to talk a little <laughs> bit longer. And then LaCrell's like, who you been talking to? Yeah, why did you call the human woman? Why is she the only one you trust? Klingon jealousy. What are you going to do? But She's like, we had love that was better than Kalis and Luaxana. Kalis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he can't be the he can't just be the famous warrior, and um, he has to be the warrior lover because we've all oh, of course we've always heard about about Kales's undying love for I guess whatever woman saw him at the Batleth tournament that night. <laughs> I I think I just think that the that the writers were were jealous of the Samaritan and decided that they just wanted to do their own version of it. That's that's all. But that's just me. Okay. <laughs> could be I mean you, you could have just named two random Klingons and I would have bought it I'd have been like alright whatever you know but Romeo yeah. and Jaholiak <laughs> well but see yeah these discovery writers depth of knowledge about you know actual Klingon lore is only Kalish that's it that's all they got <laughs> I'm going to give him credit on this one because they did a little bit of homework. I thought it was kind of neat. The name of the episode, how they drew that from TNG. The The title's a reference to when Kalis comes back. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he left, he pointed towards the star, the star for the system that Boreth is in. Mm-hmm. The monastery where they take his kid at the yeah. end. And says, you know, look for me at that point of light. That's where I'll return. And the fact that they actually looked back at TNG 
you know, found that line and what he was referring to and worked that planet into the into the storyline and the monastery where I think it's actually the monastery where they end up finding Kales or whatever the the fucking clone of Kales, whatever yeah, the hell it was. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll have to defer to you guys because uh, I, I I remember the episode you're talking about, but I don't remember the specifics of the the planet or anything like that. How about this? Any credit that I would have theoretically given them for doing that uh, during the next scene with uh, Shadow Ops on the bridge, they would have lost all credibility again. Oh, <laughs> the take your training to work day? Yeah, because how is Tilly not... Oh my god. How is how has she not been cast out of Starfleet so badly at this point? <laughs> Come on. I mean, she would have at least been confined to sickbay after that outburst. Nobody even like went to check on her. Right. She was she was insubordinate, yeah. crazy, and a little unhinged. And they're like, all right, cool. Saru got the dad voice with her. He did. He, he was totally like, Itson, Sylvia, Jane, Tilly, <laughs> you get over here now. <laughs> oh, Tilly. Tilly, Tilly, Tilly. How y'all feel about Tilly? <sighs> She's... She's every bit as unlikable as she was in season one. I would say she had been worse. I I was going to say since they've added this command training program thing, I think it probably may be a little worse. Because now we're having to actually see her in more of a Starfleet light. Whereas before, she was like the quirky, annoying cadet. Now... You're talking about Warden's favorite character, so... Not so much anymore, no. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, I texted you guys, I don't know, like, a week ago. It's like, you know... You, you, did, finally, you did, you did. You, you finally, you finally did it. You, you made me hate Tilly. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That makes this even sweeter. So, I kind of came around on Tilly. I liked her in this episode. <laughs> Oh man, and I gotta ask why? Because she wasn't acting like a caricature, and they weren't just making fun of her. And she, she was at times acting like a goddamn human being would act. And like, yes, her behavior was erratic, but there was actually a reason for it. At this point, like, I. For the first time ever, I felt bad for her as opposed to just being annoyed by her. Like, hmm. I mean, it would be scary to think that you're losing your mind. Yes. And, you know, cracking under this pressure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just a bit. Yes. And when she was, you know, flipping out and when she was talking to Burnham, she wasn't being this annoying as hell person. She was acting like a real person that was really in... Distress. Uh, you know, in, in a bad way. Yeah, in distress. Thank you. Couldn't think of a word. She was acting like a person that was in distress. Now, it was stupid that she was like, and now I'll never be captain. I was like, oh, Tilly, you, 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 you sort of got me right now. Don't, <laughs> don't ruin it. Don't ruin don't it. Don't blow it. Come on. <laughs> it, you know, uh, I, I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Mm-hmm. Rather than her just being an idiot... And like, oh, you have nice hands, you have nice cuticles. They put her in a situation where she got to respond to something like a real fucking person would. 
and it wasn't so bad. So I was okay with Tilly in this episode. So Warden, I, I'm really disappointed in your lack of empathy for this character that's going through something difficult. I, I just kind of find it shallow and uh, dick. very insensitive. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't hate her, but I, especially the first two episodes of the season, I came to see the irritating things that you guys saw. Yeah. Or, or be irritated by the things that you guys were irritated by. Especially just the, her just complete unprofessionalism and how and even a quasi quasi military organization they're going to be not putting up with that kind of shit i mean you just can't in a chain of command and so and the fact that it's just like like you said like a sitcom it's just you know a third tilly i you know it's just it, yeah so but you are not wrong you were not wrong in that it, 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 she was actually in a situation in which she was getting to be something other than an idiot. Um, we shall see if you continue to like the direction she goes. Oh, I anticipate going back to Haiti. Very quickly. Yeah. Probably next episode. I don't, I, I don't actually like Tilly. Let's, <laughs> you know, let me throw that out there. I'm just saying. She was fine in this episode. Mm -hmm. So, anyway. And I mostly just wanted to fuck with you about... <laughs> I'm shocked. Shocked. Anyway. So, she's in her quarters, or comes back to her quarters, and Burnham's been laying there crying, and that's when they have this conversation where I actually didn't hate Tilly. And Burnham realizes that her vision, apparition spirit guide whatever does not know what tears are so it must be real i do want to take issue with the fact that a show that's supposed to be taking place in a more progressive future is still reducing teenage girls to this of course girls cry all the time stereotype and that it's only girls that have like you know emotions but that's just me being irritated by bullshit so is it are you are you saying it's because teenage boys also cry all the time too or is your issue with it that not all teenage girls cry all the time i'm saying first of all not all teenage girls cry all the time and second of all maybe boys would be a little emotionally healthy if they didn't feel like they couldn't cry at least some there is no room for emotion in their tiny male brains that's right we took a shot at both sexes that's right, we did. We'll call it even. But, look, don't act like the Federation is fucking progressive, okay? We have seen how this Federation <laughs> acts. Of course they are going to roll with toxic masculinity. I mean, they're not exactly progressive about mental health, either. Nah. Right. <laughs> we don't want anyone to know Fox in the nut house. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Sorry, it's a hot button for me. It pisses me off. That's all. Okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I got two daughters. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say what Barnum said is 100% accurate. I'm betting in the future that, all, that, that every teenage girl will know what tears are, though. Yeah, that, well, yeah. Anyway. 
they they figure it out. They figure it out, and of course, with with everything else in this show so far, it's not a medical issue; it's a spore issue. <laughs> <laughs> right, everything's a spore issue. <laughs> everything's a spore issue. So instead of going to see the medical doctors about your apparitions and hallucinations, let's go see the xenobiologist or xenomycologist. Right. It's all about the midichlorians, baby. That's right. Or midicillium, whatever we call it. <laughs> so I'm just curious. If you rip something that big out of someone, would it not have just totally just eviscerated her thoracic cavity when that thing came out? So I think that the real answer is that it existed on a different dimension than what we're in so you know it was like in subspace you know what i thought of when i saw this this scene it reminded me of futurama when the brains invaded (laughs) because that's what that thing looked like when it flew off and then they put it in a bubble and it was smacking around i was like holy crap this looks like the brain invasion on futurama i what i thought was it would be a fantastic opportunity to recast tilly someone that's you know slightly more attractive because that thing looked like it weighed like 20 pounds jesus christ look how hilarious would it be board if they just sucked that thing out <laughs> and then the camera panned back over and it's like emma watson oh, sitting man. there instead be like oh shit i feel a lot better <laughs> you know that's what i'm saying it was huge she should have been walking around like quasimodo <laughs> tilly's fine i'm not knocking tilly. so they got it out of her, and again, Saru's threat boners don't go off, even though he's visibly shaken trying to get his phaser pointed at this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but they put a containment field around it. Wouldn't that containment field have come in handy? I don't know. If you have a, a, a massive tardigrade running through your ship, eviscerating everything that it comes in contact with. Mm. Or maybe a scoundrel with a time crystal device <laughs> i mean there's probably a million things that would i don't know i don't know either man why didn't burnham have the computer put a bubble around her instead of soaring through open space to get out of the brig <laughs> you know it mm, doesn't matter right it doesn't matter it needed to happen at this moment in the plot right. so we've got our new ripper oh come on no is may gonna be the new tardigrade oh God. is may She's going to be the new Tardigrade, isn't she? Okay, so let's... I wanted to get your thoughts on where this particular plot is going. Willie? You just got it. You just got my thoughts on it. Okay. May's going to be the new Tardigrade. Because they needed somebody else. And Stamets is retiring. And they had to find something. And the, the whole dark matter only reacts with spores. And uh, May's going to be the new tardigrade, and that's how they're going to power the, the jump drive now. By the way, I think I may have called that you, almost you verbatim. You called something about uh, about the spore landing on her shoulder. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Like her dark matter powers and her mycelium powers were going to combine to create these apparitions. I think I said something like that. But anyway, the thing that the thing she said that. I guess I thought was interesting was when she thought Stamets was the captain and she said he was scary. I'm wondering if like he's somehow hurting this race of fungal parasites. Don't call her a parasite. Sorry, uh, bacteria. Don't call her a bacteria. 
<sighs> you know what? Just just suck her out of there already. Like it was like he slid the ghost trap underneath her. It was like hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Zap him and cap him. So. <laughs> I like how Stamets went. He was like, "Look, the prop department built this gravity gun thing, and we can't just use it in one episode. So I'm gonna use it now for." Let's let's keep in mind that 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 device was created to contain the immense gravity of that meteorite. So when he opened it. Isn't it more likely that everything in the engineering would have just rushed in there like metal into an MRI machine? <laughs> Including I mean, body chunks of, of Tilly, yeah. <laughs> we don't know how this works. They don't know how this works. He doesn't know. Uh, I swear. I don't know. I mean, obviously we're going to do something with it. So I think she's the new navigator and we can't get rid of May, and she's so annoying. I'm curious about how the May thing is going to tie into everything. Because, like I said, I thought it was interesting that she thought Stamets was the captain and that he was scary. So uh, I still have a question about why the hell the, the damn Dash Drive project just gets abandoned. Maybe they're making this race of sentient spore globs extinct by doing it. The other thing we could consider that she wasn't talking about prime stamets when she says he's mean he's the captain he's scary yep that's true she could have been talking about uh bizarro stamets mm -hmm. i guess that's a possibility mm -hmm. boy we are sticking to this whole mycelium thing <laughs> i really thought that would die in season one how's it gonna tie into the red angels are they mycelial creatures probably so um how else are they transversing space time yeah or or the mycelial creatures become the Q continuum. I like it. I like that better. <laughs> I don't know, man. But 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 Or maybe once Tilly learns to navigate, she gets so good at it. She bonds with May and they go on to become the Red Angel together. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I, I hope we've seen the last of no. May. I, I hope we pulled her out. No. And and we're done with her. No, we're not. <laughs> Yeah, because she's right. I mean, we've developed it too much. I, I think they're going to somehow anthropomorphize Maeve, though right now she's just a blob. All right, so so where did we get to? So we got the mushroom out of her. Yep. She's feeling much better. And we're like, congratulations, Tilly. You're not crazy. Yeah. Sarus, like, I wish you had told me too. Which, once again, the fact that she hid this just sort of reemphasizes the fact that she should not be progressing in the command trainee program mm. but no anyway <laughs> we've got a new mystery whatever and in between all this we're cutting back to the conversation between burnham and amanda where amanda reveals that that spock saw the red angel because he told her and she was like no you didn't you're a little liar it was just your imagination. It was, it was logic. You just figured out how fast she was moving and where she probably would have been. and Just leave all this alone. Yep. So so he's, he sketches them out for years, and he sketches them out 30 years later, you know. But Spock had already committed himself before the Red Angel appeared to burn him. So 
there was some precipitous event, I guess, that we're going to later learn Th- about. This frustrated me because she sees the Red Angel, both see it at the same time, I guess, because for some reason they're decrypting their data and they're putting it up on monitors in 360 degrees. I noticed that. Yeah, it's like a sports bar in there. Right. And, uh, you know, Amanda starts talking about the Red Angel and Burnham doesn't even bother to say, holy shit, I've seen it. You would think that you would say that immediately, but whatever. And then uh, when she does tell her, I've actually seen it. She's like, just you? She's like, yeah, just me. I think it's real. I saw it in the stained glass window. I'm like, you have fucking video of it. Like, just call the video up. Like, what are you talking about? Just you. Pike saw it. Like, you, you, uh, why wouldn't they have shown it to other people? Uh, Captain's prerogative. Why can't Michael show it to Amanda? I don't know, man. I don't know. Why, why wouldn't she say, why wouldn't she tell Amanda, like, oh, and not only that, but 200 people saw this 200 years ago. Like, apparently... When it went to Spock, it wasn't the first time. So, hmm. It's going to turn out that everybody's going to see this thing before the season's out, right? Um, I don't know. So we did not solve one of the riddles today. So maybe maybe in the next episode, we'll see if we can get the hook shot so we can get into the fourth red dot level. Well, there's only seven lights right. and there's 12 right. episodes or, or 14. The hook shot was a big help. It was. It was. It was probably one of the best items you could get. Then the speedy boots were they Pegasus boots. Okay, I thought they were called Pegasus boots, but then I thought, no, that doesn't make any sense because Pegasus wasn't known for being like a speedy land animal. But anyway. <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it? It was the Pegasus boots. I thought it was the Pegasus boots too. I just Yes, it is. It is. They were Pegasus. At this point, I, th- I thought about it. Did think it made a lot of sense. <sighs> yeah, we didn't really advance the whole red light plot much. Like, this episode was just such a... Ugh, yeah. What the hell was the point of this episode? Uh, because we, the only real piece of information we found about the overarching plot was that Spock saw the Red Angel and it helped save mm. Burnham. Yeah. I guess we found out Spock might want to lie low for a little while because <laughs> he wanted for murder. I love how when they are breaking through the codes and everything, Amanda's like, so you've already figured out your theories, aren't you? She's like, well, I have three theories. These are the only three. One is it's all a lie. Two is Spock actually did it because he felt threatened. And three is Spock is actually a psychopath and did it. And I'm like, I mean, it's not like you narrow those down. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, yeah. that pretty much covers it. I don't really know what other options there could have been. <laughs> they told us he killed people, so logic tells me that either he actually did kill people or he didn't kill people. <laughs> and I guess I can break down that he did kill people into he thought he had to for self-defense or he's Vulcan Hannibal Lecter. I ate his liver with a nice bottle of blood wine. <laughs> I don't remember what Vulcan drinks are called. So I don't remember either. Uh, there's like a tea. Of course there's a tea. Vulcans are very tea people. Tea. Yeah. So where are we? I literally have no concept of time in this episode. Well, neither did the writers. So anyway, at that point, Amanda's thinking that the Red Angel hurt Spock, but helped Michael because... Spock shut down from then on. And Mike's like, eh, that was me. Actually, that was me. Yeah, that was me. 
She's like, what did you do? And Mike just starts crying. She's like, well, must have done irreparable damage to him. Way to go. <laughs> As she kisses her and then says, piss off. Oh, fine. You've done enough. I'm going to go find my boy. This is why we didn't get to have Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> yeah, she actually says that. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, God. I made this huge dinner and Cybok was the only one who showed up. <laughs> and he's not even mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time he's just talking about, you know, my mother was a princess. Uh, she didn't cook her own Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah and I met God. <laughs> have you met God? He wanted my starship. <laughs> I saw and I saw I saw this naked lady dancing in the sand. She had palm fronds in front of her boobies, but I still liked it. <laughs> I could imagine what was behind there. I've seen a Klingon boob before. <laughs> like this is all Sarek's fault. Oh, it's so wow. bad. It's so bad. It's all it's all Sarek's fault. This is <laughs> Yeah, so so she kisses her and she says no, I'm going to find him. Or at least uh, I think that's what she said. I, I read it on the subtitles. And storms off, right? And so then Burnham goes back right. and cries on the bed because that's what all little girls do, right, Warden? Uh-huh. And then that's when Tilly walks in and we have our uh, uh, we have our discussion there. And Tilly decides she's not crazy. It's just a spore issue. And then <laughs> we got to the point where uh, they pulled the brain out of <clears throat> Tilly. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then at some point we go back to Kronos, and this is actually how the episode progressed. As I'm reading this, this sounds totally insane. So, well done, writers. Well done. So we go back to Kronos. Mm-hmm. First off, I got a baby on the way. I want to find that crib. That thing looked pretty badass. Oh, I still like Mandalorian Pram much better. That that little floaty thing. That's 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 cool. Nah, I haven't finished the Mandalorian yet. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. So now LaCrell's decided she's going to see the baby because she hasn't even seen it, hasn't given it a name, but Vogue talks her <laughs> into it. So they decide to go see it. But instead, Uncle Ugabooga's just hanging out in the nursery. Yeah. Literally hanging out. <laughs> and yeah. the baby's gone. You know what? I don't get the hologram projectors. I wish we had left that in season one. I still don't know if they can interact. I mean, why? Can they beam a hologram anywhere? And he can see them, right? Because he's interacting with them. Uh, like, Well, here's the deal. In, in any show ever written, anytime somebody steals a baby or kidnaps anything, you go there, a hologram doesn't pop up with the list of demands. Like, it should have just been like the tablet, right? That needed LaCrell's signature. Here, you want your baby back? Sign this. What kind of a ransom demand was meet me at your house and I'll bring your baby and some documents over? <sighs> why Why would you have her meet it at her house? Right. Why wouldn't he be like, why don't you come to your down to your office at the High Council Volcano? Why don't you meet me somewhere public? Very public. And somewhere that's not your home. But even though it was her home, the guards were... Surprisingly swayed in favor of uh, Cole Mora, or whatever his name was. Roscoe. Coltrane. Oh, I found that baby! <laughs> Roscoe had way more uh, guards at the table than, than LaCrell. 
Let's talk about this fight scene. I can't because I couldn't follow what the <laughs> fuck was going on. <laughs> so we go in and uh, you know he's in there. And he's like, here, I need you to sign this and I'll give you your baby back. By the way, um, having a pregnant wife try and watch this episode did not bode well for me. <laughs> so, um, so they go there, they meet, and he's like, here, you got to sign my stuff. I'll give you your baby, and I'll even let you flee. She's like, you better kill us both, or else the one who's standing is going to come for you. And and so the fight ensues. And you, like you said, it was tough to follow what was going on. It was dark. Everybody was flipping around all mimbly bimbly <laughs> and you couldn't really follow it there were a couple points where like blood spray came from off camera and i was like <laughs> what the hell happened? i mean obviously somebody got stabbed or cut but like yeah. i don't know who did it yeah. and who did it so, to who and why yeah like, which side are the ones that are they're wearing all black which side are they on so like so like five or six of them five or six roscoe's eat it and then Roscoe's like, oh, I grow tired of this. And so he paralyzes him. And you got to figure one of them is over there, like, bleeding out. Like, why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Furthermore, he just kind of nonchalantly just stood off to the side that whole time. Yeah, he backed up and held the baby for a little while. And then I guess put it down to get out his Darth Maul taser. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't a taser. Because you could zap back the paralysis later on, apparently. It's like the thing in Harry Potter that like sucks the lights into it. <laughs> yes, it's it's, it's like <laughs> and then outer. shoots it back out. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, so, uh, so what's the point of having a big thick hood where you can't see your face if you wear some kind of a holographic face? Was that a Klingon disguise? I couldn't tell. Yes. It was Klingon? Because I thought it was. It went away so quickly, it was hard to tell. I mean, at first, I thought I thought she was like Lizard Man's wife, that species. But then when I watched the second time, she was she was there uh, throughout the episode, right? Where else was she? She was... Was she one of the ones walking out? That is very unspecific. <laughs> was she one of the ones walking out the first time? That is very unspecific and not helpful. <laughs> when he walked in and said something to the uncle, there there was somebody else kind of walking out with a little bit of a yes, you know, the hoodie on. Yes, and I think she was in the room with the baby the first time that Ash saw it. So I'm assuming that she is the one that got Uncle Oompa Loompa to show it to Tyler in the first place. Maybe so. It's all, all part of the plan. Hmm. But now, I have no idea how she, like... Did she transport in, or was she just cloaked? I don't know. And her two little kill drones that just exploded everybody. <laughs> she brought those over from the Mirror Universe. universe. I was just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? When you got a coup that you're dealing with, you probably should have brought those out. <laughs> but, but whatever. Yeah. So then she tells him you gotta you gotta off them both, or you gotta you gotta at least make it look like you off them both, because all I care about is you staying in power. Right. She pulls the paralysis back from him, and then puts Coltrane in a floating bubble. What? Where the hell is all of this shit coming from? <laughs> where is this coming from? None of this makes any damn sense. 
Glenn was pumped because he had just gotten home from watching Rogue One. And he's like, at the end, Darth Vader throws a guy up to the ceiling and then slices him in half with his lightsaber. And it was fucking awesome. And I'm going to do that at Star Trek. And they're like, how the fuck you could do it? He's like, I'm going to put him in a bubble. <laughs> and then my uh, LaCroix bat left him in half. Like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense, Glenn. He's like, I don't care. You just wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm Glenn. Yeah. Oh, man. And then we're going to show its entrails on the floor with flies landing on it. Some of them flies were on there before I before I stabbed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Just for the sake of completeness, identify who she is because you keep referring to her and she and Captain Philippa Giorgio, no. uh, former captain of the USS Shinjo. Oh, Emperor Philippa Jojo. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no, she, no, she, she, she says, no, I'm not Emperor. I'm Captain Philippa Giorgio. And then she says, Ash, get the fuck out of here and let me talk to LaCroix. Woman to woman. That's right. And he does. He just disappears. Yeah. He's like, you think you could kill him and also the kid? Yeah. Not asking for much, but she is she is from the mirror universe, so she was like, yeah, I had to get rid of my kid. It was taking too much time. I had somebody else feed it. Was she talking about Michael? I was wondering that. Or, like, does she have her own kid? Well, no, she didn't. I, I felt like Michael was the surrogate daughter. Well, yeah, Michael was the surrogate daughter, but I didn't know if I didn't know who she was referring to when she talked about her own child. Maybe maybe she got knocked up by an Orion <laughs> down there in Orion Town. Maybe. Maybe she had an ex-utero. Maybe so. So anyway. So she synthesized. Well, of course, we don't know that she synthesized heads, right? So like I said, the pregnant wife is watching this and she's like, does anything happen to the baby? You have to tell me this right now I, or else I can't watch. And I was like, so... It's going to be okay, but you may not want to watch the next scene. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what happens? I was like, just don't watch it. Just don't watch it. And uh, LaCrell decides that she's going to go to the council to to show her loyalty. So she has the head of Ash who went in there to kill their infant son and lop his head off. Not a good time to lose one's head. (laughs) I'll never be the head of a major corporation. That's not a good way to get ahead in life. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Right out. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got Ash's head and the Klingon infant head in there, and um, pulls out the heads. Right, Willie. What would you say to people who thought that that was actually Ash and the baby's head? Um, I think you just you would have been really in tune with the tone of this episode. It really though, if there was ever going to be an episode where they were going to behead a main character, this would have been it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. But once she pulls out the baby head, you're like, okay, that you know, if you if you did buy it that Ash was dead, you certainly should have let it go once you saw the baby. They can't get away with this one. I like that she chunked Ash's head in in the volcano down where the bomb is, but she's like put the baby's head back under the podium. Like, I'm saving that for later. Yeah, like, I, I mean, and I know we talked about this somehow, somewhere in season one, but, like, this would have been another good 
Top Gun ending moment. Oh, oh my God. Where like, you know, some uh, some dramatic movie uh, music starts playing. She kind of looks at it and then she just rears back and chunks it into the volcano. Oh, uh, my God. Speaking of, man, in that fight scene that was so hard to follow when it came down to just the two of them, they had like some power chords going to the background. I was like, what the hell are they doing with the music? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. How the fuck... Is there ever going to be peace between the Klingons and the Federation? Because, like, they're already in a tenuous truce. And then she gets up there and is like, hey, uh, the Federation planted a spy who then decapitated my infant child for no appreciable reason and killed a high council member who died defending me. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know. I mean, why would the council not have immediately been like, we're going back to war? Right. Yeah. And this time, we're not breaking off at Earth. And if you don't, if you don't agree, then, then you're out. We're going to ravage them. And we're going to use these brand damn new D7s. <laughs> Is that okay with you, Mommy? <laughs> that part was so stupid. Oh, my gosh. I hate this show so much. It also, it really felt like they were just ripping off Game of Thrones, too. She's like, I'll have no more children. So I'm going to be the mother of dragons. You call me mother. (laughs) Yeah. I deserve a fiercer title than... Yeah, than High Chancellor of an Empire. I'd rather be Mommy. (laughs) You don't fuck with Mommy. (sighs) Yeah. That was that was just so stupid. But you know they thought it was brilliant. I'm surprised they didn't just go ahead and have some asshole stand up and say, well, that's not a real job. <laughs> she runs across the table and, and beheads him. Oh, man. that it was, it was so dumb. So why didn't she eat Ash's head? Klingons do that. Synthesized human meat doesn't taste the same. It's gamey. Yeah, yeah, she knew it would give it away, so that's why she threw it. Yeah, threw it over there in the lava. I wonder if anybody asked, hey, so where are the bodies? And JoJo's like, oh, shit, we did not replicate the bodies, too. Um, I threw them in the fire already. (laughs) (laughs) I did that before you got there because I couldn't just pull them out. They were too heavy. And I really wanted the effect of pulling the heads out. It was so dumb. But you're right. I mean, you made a good point. I didn't really consider it at the time. If the security or security consultant's job was to try and protect the truce and keep Chancellor Laurel in power, maybe you did the latter. But yeah, the way you went about it is certainly not going to preserve any sort of truce or ceasefire or peace. Yeah. Did the Klingons... I I guess they don't know that the Federation planted the bomb in the belly of Kronos. They think that LaCrell did it, right? Uh, yeah, that's the implication, I think. Yeah, surely surely they wouldn't know that. Okay. So the Federation's really pulling the strings on this whole uh, chancellorship. Mm-hmm. Manchurian candidate. Yeah. Interesting addition to the lore of Star Trek that, you know, we pulled the whole Shavaran thing on the Klingons of the era. You think we planted one of those bombs in Praxis too and, and it accidentally went off? <laughs> or like, 
Oh, shit. Yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> Tilly accidentally, like, sat on the <laughs> iPad of death. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, all right. So, we got Mommy. We got Mommy Dearest of uh, the Klingon <laughs> Empire, which, again, Glenn really must be on a Futurama kick. <laughs> Mom's Empire. Mom's robot oil. <laughs> so mommy mommy's in charge of the klingons amanda's off looking for spock we've pulled the brain creature out of tilly uh what else is going on here oh yeah ash is in section 31 now they kind of looked like what was supposed to maybe be like a reliant class ship maybe did you get that kind of feel from it uh kind of except it had no saucer section and then the cells that were on hinges well and this was one of those scenarios where like i thought that it was right side upwards when it first flew up and then it flipped around again yeah yeah it did that this was this again this this episode was weird camera angles the whole way through so is that captain is he from canon i i don't know of of captain leland no. from now they mentioned control which they've mentioned before and another point that Warden can be upset about, Emperor Giorgio, who's supposedly just so vile and ruthless and everything, when she looks at the baby, she gives the, oh, look at the baby face for just a second. <laughs> just a split second. Mm-hmm. I laughed at that. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but back to the Section 31 ship, it did decloak, right? Wasn't it cloaked at the beginning? I don't think it's technically cloak i think it's some stealth something but i don't think it's supposed to technically it wasn't cloaked you just couldn't see it (laughs) okay it was rendered invisible to radar it was rendered invisible to the to the naked (laughs) eye and to sensors it wasn't cloaked but then it de turn off the uh invisibility to sensors and visual (laughs) field and then she hands him a black badge Section 31, I thought, was a secret. Was it not? Am I remembering that wrong? It goes in and out. You're not remembering it wrong, but you're also remembering it wrong. It seems like it kind of goes, depending on the era, in and out of being top secret, above top secret, and then being just known, but nobody knows what happens there. Okay. I think more in the earlier era, it was more open. And then by the time you get to Deep Space Nine, it's this deep cover thing. Their activities are always like super, super secret, but their existence seems to kind of vary. But she hands him a black badge. Mm-hmm. And doesn't he say something like, never seen one of those? I guess. Which makes no sense to me because he was security chief on the Discovery. And they had him on there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So obviously what they were doing was not super top secret because they were just standing out there with their black badges. Maybe at the end of uh, season two, uh, section 31 goes off the rails and they actually uh, kill the project, i.e. it goes underground at that point. Wasn't it kind of underground with an Enterprise, though, right? Mm, I have not seen enough Enterprise to really be able to say certainty. The three series that mention Section 31 heaviest are Enterprise, Discovery, and DS9. It may have been in Voyager. 
I don't remember. Is that or is that the uh, temporal people? Well, in any case, it is clearly, uh, they obviously know it. And yeah, it would be surprising that he had never seen it before being a chief security officer. Yeah. So do you think we're going to see the baby again? No. Yeah. Yeah. So you think they just they just wrote that completely out? No. Unfortunately, we'll probably see it it's again. It's got to come back somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, why else wouldn't you have just written that out? Yeah. There would have been no point to have brought the baby into that if it's not going to come back somehow later. Mm-hmm. Mirror JoJo? So much more interesting than Prime Flip JoJo. Yeah, we've, we yes, definitely we have noted that. I feel like I could watch a show with like her and Ash doing Section Thirty One shit, and like that's a show that could be dark, and it makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. So, um. Somebody ought to somebody ought to tell CBS about that. That's a great idea. I don't like how Warden's acting about this. <laughs> he, he must be privy to something. They're making that show. Okay. Well, there you go. They're making a Section 31 show. Yes. Is it going to have JoJo and Phoenix in it? Well, they, it has JoJo in it. We don't know anybody else for sure. Well, you know what? I could, I could potentially watch that. Yeah, that might be interesting because to me that would kind of be like Rogue One. Like mm-hmm. I felt like the early scenes in Rogue One were very dark. And it was okay because you were seeing like the seedy underbelly of of the Empire or Empire-controlled uh, systems. If you want to show me the seedy underbelly of some kind of super secret organization in Starfleet, that's fine. As long as that's what I'm expecting to be seeing. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be watching a traditional Star Trek show and then get what we've gotten with Discovery. Or Picard. Yeah. yeah I got you. <laughs> this episode was stupid. <laughs> I assume it's to set up some stuff down the line. Oh, Oh, yeah. You think things are getting set up? Um. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it sounds like part of it is to set up a spinoff. Well, I don't think that was primary attention, but yeah, yeah, uh, it has that effect. All right. So, Joe Bob, closing thoughts. And this is a multi-part question, so don't blow your load all at once. Closing thoughts was this episode was dumb. You know, it's there to set up things for the rest of the season you know we had gotten two standalone episodes another reason that it felt more like season one is because it was definitely not a standalone episode it was a mess sounds like part of it was to set up a new series so not only were they setting up things for this this season they were setting up potentially a spinoff yeah I like the cinematography some of the shots looked kind of cool some of them really didn't work Mm -hmm. for me because i couldn't tell what was Mm -hmm. going on and again some of the editing was just very confusing like i said something happened around some of the dialogue with amanda and michael that didn't make any damn sense why are we whispering the whole episode um because we're being covert and to just constantly cutting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We're with Michael. We're with Tilly. We're with the Klingons. We're with Amanda. We stop mid-conversation with Amanda to go back to the Klingons. And then we're back with Tilly. 
it just this this episode's just a mess. Yeah. I don't like it. That's my thought. What's your thought, Willie? Uh much the same. Um I did not enjoy this episode. It was very difficult to follow. Maybe pepper some of this in along the way. Yeah. So that this episode doesn't feel so out of place. Because this episode basically just maybe mentioned and or just kind of glossed over what your first two episodes had really been about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Episodes like that frustrate me. Because when you watch a show and you're expecting to advance, you know, a story plot, it's like those chapters in a book where you read them and you you didn't really advance any of the main plots. That's kind of what this episode felt like to me. I believe that it was trying to set up, you know, some additional conflicts and things. So, like I said, that is a necessary evil, but I don't feel like it was very well done. The The whole exchange between Amanda and Burnham was awkward at its best throughout the whole thing. May was very frustrating the whole time that she's been around. Um, and we we set it up such that maybe May, the character, won't be there, but that little sub-arc is going to be there for several episodes, I think. We would not have spent so much time talking about them having a child and all that if it's not still going to come back around somehow. Or or maybe its its simple purpose was to solidify the fact that Ash Tyler is never again going to be Ash Tyler or Voke, that he's both. Because he kind of went into that whole spiel when, when he found out about the baby, right? Because like for the first time, I felt whole. You know what? For the first time, I kind of liked his character. I didn't really like Phoenix. I didn't really like Folk. But now that he's both at the same time, and for whatever reason reminds me of a samurai, I think he's got potential to be a cool character. Yeah. Especially if he is now allowed to operate on the fringes of, well, I say, on the fringe of acceptable Starfleet protocol. But hell, this whole series so far (laughs) has been operating on the fringe of Starfleet protocol. Warden, how do you feel about this episode? I think it's a mess. I completely forgot all the crazy train that's in this episode. And I I said something about wishing I remembered to warn you. But you guys said something interesting because it just kind of speaks to what I just said. A lot of the stuff really could have been peppered through like two or three episodes. And it's weird that it wasn't. Um. But I, you know, more I sit here and think about it, the more I'm like, they might have normally done that if they weren't so strongly committed, I think, in those first two episodes of the second season to doing a palate cleanse. Yeah. And so much of this stuff is hearkening back to the tone and the weird of season one. Not all of it, but a lot of it is kind of work they had to do and they were going to have to go there eventually. And I guess they their creative decision was to just kind of like make sausage and dump it all in one episode. This episode really didn't seem to have much of an arc. It's just things happened in it. Um, The bulk of this episode was the Klingon stuff. The stuff that happened in the Federation was just kind of there. Mm -hmm. There was some sort of arc, but basically there was there was no plot. It was just all development and exposition. I mean, there there was nothing resolved or, or anything like that. So 
I guess it's just very unsatisfying. And as you guys have already pointed to, it, it's just all so all over the place. So yeah, I'm, I'm not, not crazy about this episode. Um, it does definitely set stuff up for later. And I, I, I can't wait. It will be interesting for me to watch you guys react to how things actually unfold. It certainly varies enough from what you're expecting that it'll be interesting to see. You can tell there is a season arc in place. It's just not clear what the hell it is. And so other than it seems to have these seven lights and something to do with the Red Angel. I'm surprised at how much screen time has been devoted to the command trainee program. Mm. I wish they had just promoted Tilly to a fucking lieutenant at the awards ceremony and just done something else with the time that we've done command trainee stuff. I don't care. Have you, did you notice there's only three people in it anyway? There's four. There were just three standing there on the bridge. But there were four running. Yeah. Maybe whoever lost the marathon got kicked out. I, I don't know that they necessarily have them all necessarily doing everything at the same time, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to think. So after three episodes of season one, we had, you know, the whole battle of the binary stars thing, the Vulcan hello battle of the binary stars. And then you had, uh, context is for Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the third one? Yeah. So yes. I, I guess if you look at it the same way, they kind of had a couple episodes to start out with. Now, granted, that was pilot material. And then then on the third episode, they that's when they start to try and develop all the, the plot elements. And I, I guess after the end of episode three in season one, we probably had the same feeling as we do right now, where yeah, this episode was kind of awkward, ex- except that... No. No, I think we said context is for kings was at least I felt it was far and away better than the first two. Oh yeah, the first two were terrible, and I guess that's a, yeah, it's a bad analogy because the first two episodes of season two were okay. It was this one that was a disaster. But I mean, you are right that it that the first two episodes felt like a pilot for uh, almost like a relaunch of the show. But then I don't know. I just don't know that the writers understand. What am I trying to say here? The way they're writing Klingons does still does not feel very Klingon to me. Right. So if if you're going to try and fix the thing, if you're going to try and retcon some things, timeline wise in later Star Trek iterations. Well, I don't think the word honor was used one time. In this episode, uh, I think she said one time about him stealing the baby. Didn't she say they won't stand for this dishonor? Something like that. They, they just... My 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 point being that, like, I felt like the Klingon Empire was always very um, regimented and very hierarchical, and that they always had. Uh, respect for the, the chancellor and for the houses and everything for the most part like that was pretty well established and and maybe that's what they're trying to do they're trying to write to the point of how that gets established and all the infighting and everything but it still just doesn't feel very Klingon 
Um, it feels very Romulan to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the Enterprise regularly uh, comes in contact with other Federation vessels. In the Star Trek series that I've watched most, there's regular contact with Starfleet and with other vessels and with other things you're doing. And in both of these, you're kind of just on an island mm-hmm. for the whole the whole season. I guess they decimated Starfleet in season one, so yeah, that to me feels a little weird too. So I don't know if that's gonna change or anything as we start looking more for Spock and we've got the Section Thirty One. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sure where we go from here. I guess I've said what I think is gonna happen on a few of those plot devices, but uh, I do not know how the Red Angel is going to come into all of this. And I have no prediction for it. Yeah, I'm interested to see, I guess, how it plays out and how I feel at the end of the season. I wonder if I'll think all these various subplots are worth it. Because I'm sure they'll try to weave them together at the end the way that they did with season one. But, you know, am I going to look back and say, you know what? He could have just left out the fucking love child, thrown out the fucking mycelial parasite or whatever. Because right now I'm like, just just focus on the red lights. Right. Like, that's sort of an interesting thing. And the red angel, too. And I realize, you know, that these other elements may turn out to be integral to it. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I just I don't care about them. Well, what's up next week, Warden? um we are we are returning to form in one way um the title of the episode next week is an obel for sharon like the ship that blew up in the mirror universe c-h-a-r-o-n yes uh joe bob you'll want to crack open your bullfinch and your edith hamilton and be ready to go um Well, I guess we'll watch it. Were obols coins? Um, and that what an obol is? I believe so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, an obol is a coin placed in the mouth of a dead person. Ancient Greek coin. Yep. So then we're going back to going back to mythology, where we're giving a coin to the fairy man. Sounds like. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe, maybe maybe it'll be in the same vein as Lethe. One can only hope. <laughs> well, gentlemen, mm-hmm. I, as always, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we will be back next week with uh, a bowl for Care Bears. <laughs> and Warden, hit it. This is uh, Biblio Warden, Joe Bob, and Mr. Willie signing off. Fight and Fury, performed by R.J. Wilkes, used under license from Shutterstock.